family, you're finding the book of John, chapter 2. We'll begin to read in verse number 1. And for a few moments this morning, I want to speak to you on this subject. Truths learned from a wedding. Truths learned from a wedding. John, chapter 2, we'll begin to read in verse 1. I'll invite you to stand, all those that can, that are able and honored and reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in John, chapter 2, begin to read in verse 1. The Bible says these words. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, but did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum, he his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts today from the truths and the lessons that are learned in this passage of Scripture. God, I pray again, if there's one among us that's never been saved, this would be the day, oh God, they would turn from their sin. We pray, oh Holy Spirit, you will do the job that only you can do, and that's to convict them of their sin, Christ's righteousness, judgment that will come against them one day if they don't repent and trust Jesus to be Lord of their life. Speak to your church today, God, from these truths that we see in this. Challenge us. And God, I pray as we come to a time of invitation, as your Spirit draws us and speaks to us, your will, we will bow our knee to it today. Have your way in every heart. We'll give you thanks for what you're going to do now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. We see today the first of seven uh, miracles. Uh, this takes place at the wedding of Cana. Uh, John uh, lists seven different miracles. In uh, John chapter 20, in verse 30, John writes this, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. Well, what's the purpose of them being written? Listen to verse number 31. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing... You may have life in his name. And so this was uh, a miracle uh, that took place. And, you know, you don't hear as much about it, but several years ago uh, there were a lot of books being written about miracles, and many people in the charismatic movement get, you know, sidetracked with miracles and legs being lengthened and um, all of these different things. But, friend, I want to remind you again, the greatest miracle that can ever take place is when someone who is dead and trespasses to sin is born again through the power of of the Holy Spirit through repentance and surrender to Christ's lordship over their life. And so we see today in John chapter 2 the beginning of his public ministry. And there, there's some things that are going on here just beside this wedding. 
That's the setting, a wedding that was taking place. Uh, the bride and the groom are not named. They're just ordinary people. Uh, historically, this was probably the most important week uh, as far as earthly events go in someone's life. No matter how affluent or how poor they were, there would be a week-long celebration to celebrate the covenant that had been entered into between a man and a woman with God for a lifetime. And so there's some wonderful truths that we can learn from what took place that day. Four things I want you to notice this morning. First off, I want you to notice a truth about sobriety. A truth about sobriety. Uh, listen to verses 1 through 3 again. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Now, listen to it. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, I want to say emphatically, unless uh, someone which you won't believe it happens, but it does, I get misquoted. Um, from time to time. Hear me, hear me clear this morning. Um, there's absolutely no doubt that Jesus turned water into wine. But, but, what kind of wine? That's the question that we need to examine first off this morning. Now listen to me. The Greek word for wine is oinos. Oinos. Uh, that's the word that's used. Anytime you see the word wine in the New Testament, uh, the Greek word written in the Greek manuscripts is, is oinos. The Hebrew word is yayin, uh, and that's what's used in the Hebrew. Uh, so anytime you read the word wine, when you look in the Old Testament, you're going to see, if you looked at the Hebrew manuscripts, the word yayin. Now listen to me. The word that is used, oinos, in the Greek New Testament, in the New Testament, and yayin in the Old Testament, this word is used interchangeably. Listen, for alcoholic, and for non-alcoholic wine. Uh, not all wine uh, is alcoholic in the Bible. What, what do you mean by that? It means there is a total and complete absence of alcohol. And so when you see the word wine used, it could be alcoholic, it could be non-alcoholic. Listen to Isaiah chapter 16 and, and verse number 10. Isaiah chapter 16 and verse number 10. When Isaiah writes... Uh, and says, a gladness is taken away and joy from the plentiful field. Listen, in the vineyards there will be no singing, nor there will be shouting, nor, treaders will, nor will there be treaders to tread out wine in the presses. Well, what are they talking about? Well, people, are, if you can believe this, and hopefully they wash their feet, but they would tread out the grapes with their feet. And here Isaiah is saying what came straight out of the grapes as they treaded it, the Bible calls it wine. There, there could be no alcohol in it whatsoever because it was just pure grape juice. Uh, Isaiah chapter 65 uh, and in verse number 8, Isaiah says, Isaiah says this, uh, and, and as new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it. That is to say, if you were to walk up to a grapevine and just to see the grapes that were hanging there, Isaiah says there's wine inside that grape. Well, friend, that wasn't alcoholic wine. It was non-alcoholic wine. So the Bible, when it speaks of wine, it may be speaking of alcoholic wine. It may be speaking of non-alcoholic wine. Well, where does it speak of the other? Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number one, the Bible says, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. The Bible here is speaking about alcoholic wine. And so the word wine is all that we find written on the pages of Scripture. Well, how do we determine the difference? Listen to me. You have to find the context of the Scripture 
to find out what kind of wine is being talked about, to find out whether it's alcoholic or non-alcoholic. Now, we know from our studies in discipleship, because I've shared this with you for many times over the past six years, if you take a passage out of context, you then have what? Pretext. Anytime you take a passage out of context to make it say what you want it to say, then it automatically turns into pretext. And so, yawing in the Old Testament, respectively, oinos in the New Testament, respectively, it means wine. It's just like our English word drink. When you see the word drink in English, it could refer to something that's caffeinated, non-caffeinated. It could refer to something that's alcoholic or non-alcoholic. Let me give you an illustration, all right? Uh, imagine it's a hot, burning day in July, 115 degrees uh, with heat index. It's really just 98, but the humidity's pegged out. It is hot. It's a Sunday. And two godly men are serving in our uh, security ministry. And they're, they're out in the parking lot, and it's been hot. They're sweating. They have served faithfully. Church is almost over. Uh, one of our security guards comes up from his post. He goes to another security guard, and they're, they're talking about the day. And one of them says, man, it's hot. And the other one says, boy, it sure is. He says this, listen to me. How about a cold drink? And that godly man reaches into the back of his truck, gets his igloo cooler out, and the other man reaches in and pulls out a cold Gatorade. Well, when he said cold drink, he meant that which is non-alcoholic. Now, the same day and the same time, two ungodly men are sitting in a boat in the middle of Harrison Bay fishing. And the guy has a cooler in the middle of a boat that's got Budweiser written on the side of it. And the one ungodly man looks at the other ungodly man and says, Boy, it's hot. And his friend looks at him and says, It sure is. How about a cold drink? And his buddy says, I'd love a cold drink. And his friend opens up his cooler that has Budweiser written on the side of it, and he reaches inside and gets a cold beer, and he pops the top. Now listen, the statement that was used was, how about a cold drink? The word drink was used, but you have to know the context of the situation to tell whether it was alcoholic or non-alcoholic. Yahyan, respectively, in the Old Testament, Oinos in the New Testament frequently mean, listen, that which is not intoxicating. Proverbs chapter 23, uh, verses 29 through 35. Listen to what the Bible says. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on wine when it is red, that is, when it's intoxicating, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. Listen. At the last, it bites like a serpent. It stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter, utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of the mast, saying, They have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? Now listen to what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 21. This is, this is what Jesus says. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. 
He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now listen. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, gives him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, gives him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to them who ask him? Friend, are you going to tell me, based on the testimony of Scripture, that Jesus Christ would give something to someone that does the damage that intoxicating drink does? Then you don't know the Jesus revealed in Scripture. So did Jesus turn water into wine? You betcha. But there is no possible way, based on the Word of God and the character of God, that it was intoxicating in any way. There's no way. Listen, the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 and 18, said Jesus is the prophet, the prophet of prophets that would come. Isaiah chapter 28, verses 7 through 8, uh, says this. Listen, what, what prophets are turned into. But, but they have also erred through wine, Isaiah says. They, and through intoxicating drink, they're out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. They are swallowed up by wine. They are out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all the tables are full of their vomit and filth. No place is clean. That's what the prophets had turned into prior uh, to the 722 B.C. judgment on the northern kingdom. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says, Jesus is our high priest. Leviticus chapter 10 and verse number 9, through the instruction of Moses given by God, God says this uh, to the priesthood, those who would serve, do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout all your generations. Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 6 says, Jesus Christ is King of kings and he is Lord of lords. Proverbs Chapter 31, verses 4 through 5 says this, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all afflicted. Jesus Christ is our prophet, priest, and king. My friend, to take intoxicating drink into his body would be a violation of the word of God, and thus he would die on the cross of sinners. There's no way, there's no way that Jesus, based on his character and the type that is presented in Scripture, would give intoxicating drink to anybody when it does the damage that it does because it, his word condemns it and it destroys a type. Now listen, uh, the usual argument, I've been doing this long enough to know, the usual argument is, now Brother Chad, it's really just about moderation. That's the key to alcohol. It's not getting drunk. It's about moderation. That's the key. You're exactly right. You know, the, the moderation is the key to becoming an alcoholic. That's the key. Every alcoholic, friend, started off by drinking in moderation. That's how it happens. Scripture doesn't look any positive way, friend, on the use of alcohol. The first drop of alcohol in your body diminishes your ability to distinguish right and wrong, and to react as you should. That's why when somebody gets pulled over, friend, that's swerving over the road, they call it a DUI, driving under the influence. You're intoxicated. 
You have taken a toxin into your body. That's what alcohol is. And now your body has been poisoned by it. And you can't act and respond the way that you should. And, you know, just in case there's someone here this morning you know that you're all for drinking, I just want to ask you this question. You know, you may lie to my face, but don't lie to God this morning. I want you to be honest about this. If not you, the dearest loved one that you have, I want you to think about them. Now I want you to think about in one of those air-conditioned gowns at the hospital laying in a bed. And there they are. And it's, their pre-surgery's been taking place. They've been getting uh, their IV put in, uh, all those little stickers and strips, all those things that the nurses have come by. And you're waiting on the doctor. You're waiting on the doctor to come by and to, to have a final talk with you about what's going to happen. And he comes walking through the door, and he's got a big glass of wine in his hand. Now, what are you going to think? And he's, and he's going to look and say, oh, now, don't worry. I only drink in moderation. I only drink in moderation. Friend, if you'd stand here today and say, I'd be okay with that, you're a liar. You're a liar because you know, friend, that anybody that's going to operate on you, you want them sober as a judge. Because the first drop of alcohol that comes into your body, it diminishes your ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and God to bring His Word that you should have hidden within your heart so that you can flee, friend, from all the influences of Satan. So I'm telling you, friend, the only biblical response to alcoholic drink is to abstain. And if you take it, friend, I'm telling you, you are in sin against the holy God because the Bible does not look upon alcohol in any positive way whatsoever. It always frowns upon it. And there's no way that Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, would introduce alcohol into the beginning of someone's life. So we see a lesson about sobriety. Second, I want you to notice now a truth about schedules. A truth about schedules. Look what the Bible says in verse number 3. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Again, this is non-alcoholic grape juice. It must have been a big party. And so everybody's there. They're, they're out of drink now. And so, so they, they, have this, they have this problem. And so she tells it to him. And look at Jesus' response in, in verse number 4. Then he said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Now listen, Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 12 says we're to honor our mother and father. And Jesus would in no way violate that commandment. This was just his term of how he spoke to her. In John chapter 19 and verse number 26, you can write that in the margin of your Bible, as he's hanging upon the cross, so deeply concerned about the mother who had brought him into this world, he said, woman, behold your son, Son, behold your mother. He wanted to make sure, even dying on the cross, that Mary was going to be cared for. So he's not being disrespectful. Now, any of the youth are here, kids are already downstairs, I don't encourage you uh, to speak to your mother that way. Woman, you might find yourself in the field uh, next year to your house. But it really bears out the question. Now, now, notice this. Was it in front of others? Was there a crowd there? Was Jesus talking to other people? And she just came... Now listen, don't miss this, because don't take it out of the context. She knew who Jesus was. She knew what Jesus was capable of. She knew that he was a problem solver. And so she came up to Jesus. Was it among other people? And says, hey, 
they're out of wine. They just, can, you, can you fix this? And his response is, my, my hour has not yet come. J- Jesus was on God's schedule. Uh, I don't mean this disrespectfully in any way, but it wasn't time for the big reveal. It wasn't time for everybody to find out, hey, this is who Jesus is. Why is that so important? Well, two reasons. One, because he was on God's schedule. But John chapter 6, verse number 15, after he fed the 5,000, he had to depart quickly because he knew the people were going to come and make him king immediately by force. They knew when they really saw the miracles. But don't forget, friend, John chapter 6, verse 66, as he laid out really what the life of a disciple was, they didn't want a spiritual king. They just wanted an earthly king. And many of his disciples followed him no more. Jesus wasn't on his own schedule. He was on God's schedule. Perfect time to go ahead and reveal to everybody, hey, I'm the Messiah. I'm here. It wasn't the time. Jesus was on God's schedule. He was was living by his time. As a matter of fact, verse number 9 says, once the water's been turned into the wine, only the servants who had been a part of the miracle knew what had happened. They're the only ones that knew what Jesus had done because Jesus was on, don't miss this, He was on God's schedule and not his. God was ruling his life. Luke chapter 2 and verse number 49, even as a little fella, he said, I must be about my father's business. Not my business, but God's business. Jesus came to fulfill the will of God in the timetable of God in all things. Friend, he came into the world that way. In the fullness of time, Christ was born. Now the second before and not a second after. Don't you think he's ready to receive his church? But my friend, he'll not come a second before or a second after till God the Father says it's time to get him. He's on God's schedule. It's, there's, there's, a, there's a lesson, there's a truth about, about schedules. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 3. Well, what a great truth. The Bible says, Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. What what is that? Give give your life, give your schedule, all of it. Give your timetable to God and and he'll establish your path. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse number 11. A verse that so often is so misread and so misused, but listen to the truth of it. The Bible says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a hope, and the future. Friend, listen, God has a plan for your life. A great and wonderful plan that is so wonderful, far above anything that you could ever come up with. But the only way you're going to experience it is on His timetable. You've got to give your schedule to the Lord. Psalm chapter uh, 143 and verse 8. Psalm 143 and verse 8. Listen to what the psalmist writes in verse number 8 of Psalm 143, the Bible says, Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you I do trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. The psalmist says, God, I'm I'm giving you my life, my whole calendar from midnight to midnight. It's it's all yours. I don't have anything that's pre-filled. I'm not signing up for anything that's going to put you in second place. You're going to have full control of my schedule in always. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your path. 
That is, make him first place, give him your schedule, and he'll direct you. Jesus says, my hour is not yet come. He was dependent upon God to guide him and to, to lead him. Friend, I want you to listen to me this morning. You better hear this truth. You're going to schedule time to chase something. You're going to schedule time to chase something. The question is, what are you chasing? I want to ask you a question this morning. Would you be honest before the Lord? What do you allow to come before study and service to the Lord? Is there anything in your life that's on your schedule, friend, that you allow to come before study and service to the Lord? If it is, friend, that's an idol in your life. Jesus says, my hour is not yet come. That, that means God was in control of his schedule. My friend, listen, I, I learned this several years ago, and I'm, so I'm sorrowful I learned it the hard way, but I'm so glad I finally learned it. Give your schedule wholly to Jesus, and you will enjoy the non-essentials more when you put him first place. I promise you, my friend, give God your schedule. And listen, and that means, friend, sometimes you're not going to be able to do something maybe that you signed up for or that you wanted to do. Because service to the Lord is going to come first. But I promise you, you'll enjoy the non-essentials more when Jesus is first. It just works that way. Matthew 6 and verse number 33. So there's a truth about sobriety. There's a truth about schedules. But third, I want you to notice a truth about submission. A truth about submission. In Ephesians 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine, where it's his dissipation but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, what's Paul writing about? He's not writing about a DUI. He's writing about an LUI, living under the influence. You're either going to live under the influence of alcohol if you're a drunk, but for the child of God, we're to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. LUI. I might make a T-shirt about that. LUI. I got an LUI when I got saved. Write that down, honey. LUI. All right. Living under the influence. Listen to what the Bible says in verse number 5. What, what, a great, what about a great truth about submission? So his mother said to his servants, apparently Jesus indicated he was going to help meet this problem that they had, this, the wedding feast, the reception, they're out of drink now. And so his mother says to his servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever. You know, we focus on the last part, you know, do it. Says do it. But we don't like that, that first word, whatever. So God, I'll do what Jesus said, well, now I'm not going to do that. And I'm not going to do that. Well, friend, that's not whatever. If Jesus is truly Lord of your life, listen to me, you don't have any areas that you've compartmentalized or you've put a lock on that he doesn't have the lock to. When Jesus is truly Lord of your life, he's got all the keys to every part of your house. Every part. Mary knew this. She says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And friend, I'm telling you, that takes trust and that takes faith. Because sometimes he leads you into uncharted waters. But I've got good news, friend. He's already been there. Matter of fact, he's already there. He's putting things together to help and, and laying track, friend, before you ever get to that place. But it takes, it takes trust and it takes faith. It's a simple matter of the heart. Just to surrender yourself to his lordship and say, God, I don't know what you're going to ask me to do today, but God, I'm all in. Because I know, God, you're going to equip me 
and you're going to sustain me, and you're going to give me what I need to accomplish whatever it is that you're going to call me to do today. And you're going to get all the glory, and you're going to do it in spite of me and all my limitations. That takes faith. This is whatever he tells you to do. Because what was Jesus fixing to tell them to do? Well, now get these water pots that all these Pharisees wash their arms in and fill them up with water. Like, well, nobody's going to drink, drink that. Now, now, listen, they weren't dirty pots. It's not that they were sitting there with bars of soap. This was a ceremonial washing. We'll look a little more deeply at it in a minute. They began to say, what, what's he asking us to do? Fill it with water. They didn't question. He said, get the pots, fill them with water. And friend, listen, they just didn't fill them. They filled them to the brim. Our studies on Wednesday night, we saw a few weeks ago, you'll remember, uh, that Elisha on his deathbed was trying to equip a king to be able to make it now into a new part of ministry. Elisha was dying with the death of which he would die. And he told him to, to strike the ground. This would be a demonstration of how he would defeat the Syrians. And he only struck the ground three times. And Elisha became upset with him. Why? Because he just, he just kind of casually went about what he was doing. These people didn't casually go back. They were holy smith. They filled it up till the water was rimming over. It was filled absolutely to the brim. And so submission to the will of God, it's, it's a matter of the heart, but listen, it's motivated more by love than fear. You know, when I was little, I obeyed my parents because I was afraid of them. It's supposed to be that way. That's the way it starts. But the more I grew... I didn't obey my mom and dad because I was afraid of them. I obeyed them because I loved them. I obeyed them because I loved them. And that's the way it's to be in our relationship with God. A maturing, growing disciple doesn't obey Jesus because we're afraid he's going to burn our house down or he's going to give us cancer or he's going to make our tires go flat. We obey him because we love him. It's, it's submission to, to, his, to his will. Uh, John chapter 14, and, and in verse number 12, I love, I love this verse. All the, all the miracles that John recorded, listen to what he says in John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father. Jesus says, I'm going to do greater works than turning water into wine because I'm going to do it through you. I want to remind you again, friend, again, the greatest miracle is not turning water into wine. It's not Lazarus coming back from the dead. It's being able to be a part of sharing the Word of God with somebody who is dead in trespasses and sin and seeing them respond to that Word because faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word and them going from spiritual death to life. That's the greatest miracle that can ever happen. And Jesus says, you're going to be a part of doing that because I'm going to do it through you when you're submitted to my will. What's his will? As you are going. Matthew 28, Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses. I'm going to do it through you. He says, it's an amazing thing. But listen, only if you're holy and submissive to his word and to his will. Friend, there's so many Christians who live joyless, defeated lives. And I want you to listen to me. The reason why is this. They're not living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. St they still have reign over parts of their lives, or they've reclaimed it for themselves. They've allowed the devil to put some flash, some dream, some object to chase after 
which is going to stay here when they die. They've been fooled. And now they're not living under the influence. They're living under their will. If you want to be used by God to accomplish great and mighty things just like these servants did, friend, you've got to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit and be submissive to his word and will. A fourth truth I want you to notice is a truth about salvation. A truth about salvation. Look what the Bible says in verse number 6. So there were set there these six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews uh, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Well, what's John talking about here? Well, Mark chapter 7, verse 3 gives a little bit of insight into it. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees, remember during that 400-year void of God speaking from the end of Malachi to the beginning of Matthew chapter 1, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had really begun to add a lot of things to the law, a lot of traditions. And one of the traditions they had was the ceremonial washing of their hands before they would eat. They would, they would dip their arms down to the elbow in water several times and then stand there so everybody could see the water just dripping off their elbows. I think that's what some of you guys do down in the bathroom around the sink. Or at least that's what it looks like. There's just half a gallon of water in front of the sink where people are drying their hands. Well, anyway, they would... Somebody's going to slip and fall and have a lawsuit. Well, anyway, they would just stand there and drip. And, and they, were trying, they were saying, you know, I'm... I'm clean on the outside. Well, friend, God wasn't as much concerned. Now, listen, I'm all for washing your hands. I do several thousand times a day uh, mine. I'm all for washing your hands. But listen to me, friend. Washing your hands won't clean your heart. That's the great need they had. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were concerned about the inside, the outside, but not the inside. And that's why Jesus didn't fit the bill, John chapter. He came into his own, and his own received him not. They're like, nah, he's, he's not going to fit the plan that we've got. My friend, listen, Jesus doesn't fit the plan you have. You submit to his plan, his plan of salvation. He's not going to be who you want him to be. I promise you, you can find a church, and you'll find some jack-leg preacher that'll tell you what you want to hear. But when you come to Christ in sincerity and in truth and to his word, friend, you get in line with his word and his will. We don't get him to get in line with ours. And so they, they had this, all these laws and all of these traditions that they had added. And so that's what the people understood about these pots. He says, I want you to get those. Get those, get those water pots that represent absolutely nothing except to, to show what Isaiah well knew in Isaiah chapter 29 and verse number 13 that God said about the nation of Israel. God says these types of people who are more concerned about the outside than the inside, listen to what the Bible says, inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths and they honor me with their lips but have removed their hearts far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. God says I see the heart. They've got all this big religious talk, all of these things, all these traditions that they've added to ministry. Baptists don't know anything about that, do they? All of these things that they add to the church and they're just must-haves that the Bible doesn't even speak of. They just have to be there. He says, no, their fear of God is not taught by the Word of God, but it's taught by the traditions of men. Jesus says, I want you to get those those water pots that represent that, and I want you to fill them up. 
See, friend, the law, Jesus is trying to show what Paul would teach in Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 24. The law was given by God to be a tutor, to show us something that we couldn't really see. When a student's struggling in school from time to time, they'll get a tutor. They'll, they'll, get, a, they'll get a helper to show them what they don't understand about what it is that they're, they're needing to learn. When the law was given, friend, listen, God knew it could never be kept but by one person, by one person, and that was Jesus Christ. The purpose of the law was to look at it and say, man, I can't keep that. Even if I add all of these things, there's no way I can ever stand up against that. But that's what Jesus Christ, friend, was going to come and do for us. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 17 through 18. Listen, listen to what the Bible says. Do not think that I came to destroy the law, Jesus said, or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. That is to fill it up to the brim. Jesus says to do every part, not, not just a little bit, but to fulfill it. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. And Jesus Christ, friend, fulfilled every part of God's righteous law. Every part of it. What you and I couldn't do, he did. He, he filled it up. Look at verse number 7. Then Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. You know, those old clay water pots, you know, we were made from clay. They kind of represent man. And Jesus said, fill them, fill them up to the brim with water. Fill them up. You know, Ephesians chapter 5, and in verse number 26, the Apostle Paul says this about God's Word, that he might sanctify the church and cleanse her, the church, with the washing of water by the Word. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse number 10, Isaiah says this, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Listen, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing from which I send it. The Bible here, friend, shares, shows us that, that water is, is an illustration for the word of God. And Jesus says, I want you to take those, those clay pots that represent fallen man, and I want you to fill them up with water, which represents the Word of God. Fill it up fully to the brim with my Word. And friend, listen, when it was filled with the Word, all it took was just one touch by the Master's hand, and a miracle took place. Water turned to joy. The Bible teaches, friend, that wine represents in the Bible joy. We're talking about non-alcoholic wine. The Bible's already showed us from scriptures we've looked at this morning. And we'll do a discipleship lesson as the Lord leads on a Sunday night. And we'll exhaust all the scriptures that we can find about the positives of non-alcoholic wine and the evils and that there's nothing positive about alcohol whatsoever. And certainly not strong drink. No one can make an argument for that. I hope you do, friend. You really need to come forward and get saved this morning. And so the Bible now shares, shows us that Jesus is going to take this water and turn it into wine, which is represented by joy. Psalm 104 and verse number 15. Listen to what the Bible says. As for man, his days are like grass. 
I'm sorry, Psalm 104, verse 15. And wine that makes glad the heart of man. The Bible says this is non-alcoholic wine. It makes glad, it makes joyful the heart of man. And where there was no joy, now there is joy. So if you've never been saved, listen to me this morning. Stop trying to wash yourself in human effort. Listen to me. Be filled with God's Word this morning. What Word? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Friend, that's you. Romans 6.23, there's a penalty for that sin. It's an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. The wages of sin is death. Get filled up with John 3.16 this morning. Listen to this. For God so loved the world, He loved you. They sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place. That if you would believe in Him, friend, you would not perish, but you'd have everlasting life. How do you experience that? Get filled with this. Luke 13 and verse 3. Except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Jesus says to experience His touch and His joy, friend, that is just joy that can't be explained. You've got to turn. You've got to repent from sin. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Be filled with that. Believe in your heart that Jesus died, that God rose Him from the grave. And trust Him to be Lord of your life, confessing with your mouth, and you'll be saved. Be filled with that this morning and be touched by the hand of God, friend, and you'll experience salvation. Then you'll be full of joy. Psalm 51 and verse 12, it's the joy of God's salvation. But it doesn't stop there. Look what the Bible says in verse number 6 of our text, uh, that he, he filled that up. But notice there, was, there were six 20 to uh, 30 gallons apiece were in each. Uh, so that's at a minimum 120 gallons, friend, of, of grape juice now. Friend, listen. That's, they weren't going to need uh, more grape juice. They were going to need bathrooms. They had an abundance. God just didn't meet the need, friend. Don't miss this part. He met it in abundance. John 10, 10. The thief comes but still kill and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have life more abundantly. More abundantly. Friend, you can't ever outgive God. Ephesians chapter 3 and in verse Number 20, now to him who is able to exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And friend, when you get saved, listen to me, it doesn't just stop there. That's just the beginning. You're able to experience all the abundance life, friend, that you have on this earth that you couldn't have any other way except the Holy Spirit of God lived in your heart. The only way you can experience it, friend, is to repent and to trust him. I'll leave you with two, two different verses this morning. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 17. You can write that down. And Proverbs chapter 10 and verse number 22. Listen to me, friend. Somebody's going to be Lord of your life in this lifetime. There's only two choices. It's going to be the devil or it's going to be Jesus. And I want to promise you how the, de the devil's going to leave you. You're going to, on, in, eternally, you're going to be separated from God in a place called hell. But I want you to understand, friend, that here upon this earth, you're never going to have any joy. Listen to what Proverbs 20, verse 17 says. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man. That is what the devil gives you. It's sweet for a moment. But listen to what the rest of the verse says. But afterward, his mouth will be filled with gravel. It means there's no joy. What the devil gives you is sweet for a minute. But the longer you chew on it, it just absolutely turns to gravel. But listen to what the Bible promises for those who are filled with God's Word and touched by the hand of Jesus. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse number 22 says this, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Friend, there's joy unexplainable in knowing Jesus Christ. Do you have that joy today? 
I wonder, friend, this. Listen, everybody look at me. Have you personally experienced, do you, have, do you personally know the truth of God's salvation? Is there really a moment in your life that you can identify where the Spirit of God convicted you of your lostness and you turned and trusted Christ? I'm not asking when you joined the church. I'm not asking when you got baptized. I'm not asking when you decided to be Baptist. Can you really identify a moment where someone shared the Word of God with you like I have this morning and God filled you up to the brim with His Word and you responded to it and the hand of Jesus touched you and made you a new creature. If you've never experienced that, do that this morning. Receive Christ to be Lord of your life. Turn from all your sin. And my friend, I promise you, far greater than turning water into wine, he'll make you into a new person. But you have to choose to receive him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you've never experienced that truth personally, do it now. God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He did. He rose from the grave. And he wants to save you right now if you'll simply yield yourself to his touch. Choose to turn from sin. Choose to trust him to be Lord of your life. And the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Tell him so right now where you sit. You have to mean this from your heart, friend. You have to, the words have to be a reflection of your heart. Won't you pray it right now silently where you sit? If it's your desire to experience his salvation today. Say, God, forgive me a sinner. I admit my sin. I turn from it to you in saving faith. Believing Jesus, you died for me, you rose again. And I want you to be Lord of my life. Thank you now for saving me. Make me to the man or woman that you want me to be. And God, in these next moments, help me to be bold and brave. And to make my decision public today to share with others what it is you've done now in my heart. That's my prayer. Now, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Did you pray that and mean it? In just a moment, when we stand to our feet, I'm going to invite you to make your way forward so I can share with you what God wants to do next in your life. I wonder if there's a brother and sister in Christ this morning that's struggling with this truth of sobriety. You've left an open door for the devil. You've got wine in your refrigerator. You've allowed people to talk you in that it's, it's okay. It's okay. Friends, not okay. You're killing your testimony. When you go buy it, when you drink it, the power of your influence when other people watch you, you're killing your testimony. Put that away from you this morning and adopt the only biblical response a growing disciple can have, and that is total, complete abstinence from the consumption of anything that has alcohol in it. Are you struggling with the lesson about scheduling? Is Jesus really Lord of your calendar? Or are there just some non-negotiables that you know, you've just got to get done? Then he's not Lord. Friend, get, just like the day you got saved, give him your calendar again. Give it all to Jesus and live on his schedule for your life. Are you struggling with the lesson of submission? You, you believe that word whatever, but you've got to, just some asterisks is there that, you know, see subparagraph, and you've got these lists of things you just, you, you can't do. That's not submission. A fresh and a new friend, lay your life before him and say, God, whatever you call me to do, whatever you ask me to do, 
God, I'll do it, but I can only do it if you do it through me because I believe Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through you as you strengthen me. Father, speak to your church. Thank you for these wonderful, glorious lessons. Challenge us. Holy Spirit, you know where each one of your children stand today, what we're in need of. Speak to our hearts, your will. Be with the one that may be prayed to receive you this morning. Help them to be bold and step forward. Be with the one who may still need to be saved. Help them to be a man and woman most miserable till they turn and receive you. Be Lord of this invitation. Your will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's reverently stand to our feet.